Today we're continuing a message series called Foundations of Faith. And my prayer is that in this series it would, each person here would understand more fully their faith and also put it into practice in a greater degree, in a greater dimension. And when we are able to understand the faith, when we're able to apply it and put it into practice in our lives, then we also should be able to teach someone else the same faith as well. That's, the Bible tells us that each believer ought to be able to teach someone else the foundations of faith. So there's three phases here. First of all, to understanding the faith. Second, after we understand it, we put it into practice in our own lives. And third, we need to be prepared to teach somebody else. And so there's something for each of us here, no matter where you're at in your Christian life. Today we're going to be talking about how to worship God. How to worship God. God has created every human being with the capacity and a desire to worship something or someone. In fact, the Bible teaches us that everyone, every human being worships something or someone. God has created us as worshipers. And so even people who say they don't worship anything, what do they most likely worship then? Themselves. Okay, everybody worships something. There are no exceptions to that. What do we worship? That is the question. In the Ten Commandments, God instructs humanity to worship only the true God. Now, in your bulletin, there's a white page. I'd encourage you to pull it out. It has the outline written out there and uh, the verses as well, so I'd encourage you to follow along. Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 3 and 5. God instructs us, commands us, You shall have no gods, no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And so only the creator God of the universe, the God who revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, is worthy of our worship. And yet people down through the centuries have worshipped other gods. They have worshipped created things. They've worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars. They've worshipped the earth. Well, we still have people that worship the earth, don't we? Uh, we have people that worship animals. We have people that worship all kinds of things. They even worship supernatural beings, angels, demons. These things are all worshipped. And all of these things, including the physical things, including the supernatural realities, were created by God. And so, in this universe, in this life that we live, there are only two categories of beings, there are only two categories of of things. On the one side is our creator God, and on the other side is everything he's created. You and I have been created by him. The angels, the demons are created by him. The universe, the earth has been created by him. And we are to worship our creator God alone. Now, whatever we worship, we become like. I don't have time to go into that this morning, but that's a very profound statement that the Bible teaches. Whatever we worship, we become like. And who do we want to be like? We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like God. He has all the attributes that we want to be like. And so as we worship him, we become more like him. If we worship created things, we become more like them with all of their flaws and all of their evils. And so God is seeking people to worship him. Jesus said in John 4.23, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so God is seeking 
people who worship him in spirit and in truth. We worship God in spirit because he is spirit. God the Father does not have a physical body. He is spirit. He's not a physical entity. We worship in truth because God has revealed to us the truth of who he is in his word in the Bible. And so all worship that is not in truth, all worship that is not in spirit is false worship and it actually leads people into bondage. The Bible says people who worship idols are actually worshiping demonic beings behind the idols that seek to capture them and enslave them. Worship is something that must be done in spirit and in truth. And so today we're looking at the topic, how to worship God. And we're going to see how, what worship is all about and how we can grow in our worship of God. Now, oftentimes when we speak of worship, we think of singing songs on Sunday mornings. And that indeed is worshiping God if we are not just simply mouthing the words to the songs. If our hearts are engaged with God as we sing songs the best we can. The Bible says we make a joyful noise to God. So if you don't think you can sing, you still can worship, even on Sunday mornings. But worship is much bigger than simply singing on Sunday mornings. Worship should be a lifestyle that characterizes the life of every believer. And so let's look a little more closely at how we can worship God. The first thing is we need to see God accurately. Now, many people make things up or believe certain things about God that simply are not true. You can't worship God in spirit and in truth if your concept of God is wrong. How do we know what God is like? Is it just something each person can, you know, I think God is this, and somebody else, I think God is like that. Well, we can come up with all kinds of ideas, but the definitive handbook of what God is like is found in God's Word, the Bible. Down through the millennia, God has revealed through his spirit to prophets what he is like, how he operates, how he uh, does things in our world. And that information was written down in the Bible. So let's look at a couple of basic truths from the Bible about God. God loves you. Pretty simple, isn't it? God loves you. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, many verses, says, Because of his great love for us, because of God's great love for you, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. The Bible teaches us that God is love. God loves you. Incredibly important truth. And he showed that great love for you by rescuing you from the consequences of your sin. <clears throat> He sent Jesus, his only son, to take the punishment for our sins as he died on the cross. And he saved us as he rose from the dead. And so God loves you. He earnestly desires to have a relationship with you. And if you follow his plan, if you believe in Jesus, then you're going to experience his love. You can't worship God. You can't worship God truly if you don't believe that he loves you. Because God loves you, he changes you. Romans 8, 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The Bible tells when you become a believer, you become a new creation. God changes you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God's love sets you free from sin 
It sets you free from the consequences of sin, which is eternal death. God changes us. God's love brings us into a relationship with him. And that same love works in and through us to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. He changes us. And so you can't be saved and not be radically changed by God. God changes those who believe in Jesus so they'll be equipped to fulfill God's purpose. Because God created you with a plan for your life. And so he changes you so that you can fulfill that plan. So in order to worship God, we must see God accurately. Now many people have issues with God because they don't see God accurately. They don't see God as he really is. Some people are, at, are angry at God because they believe that he didn't answer their prayers. They prayed and God didn't do what they wanted and they're angry at God. They don't think he loves them because their prayers were not answered the way they wanted them to be answered. But God loves them even though he didn't do what they wanted him to do. God is God, and we are not. And God does what's best. And what we want is not always best for us or for other people. Other people are upset with God because they don't believe they've been treated fairly in life. Look at that person over there. Look at all they have, and I have nothing. Or I have to go through this difficulty, and I, I'm upset with God. And when you don't see God accurately, when you don't understand that he loves you, then it's difficult to worship him. It's difficult to build a relationship with him. And so if you or somebody else you know is having problems with God, remember what he's revealed about himself. He loves you. He loves them. He loves everybody. And he's working to change you. Sometimes... The things that God allows into our lives because he loves us are things we don't like. But we must trust that he knows what's best. And he has promised, as Pat talked about, to never leave us or forsake us. Some of the things that Pat went through in her life were not things she would have chosen to go through. But God knows what's best. And she trusts him, that he loves her and is working his plan and purpose out through her life. And so worshiping God involves seeing him accurately and submitting to his will in every aspect. When we see God accurately, we can thank him continually. If God loves you, if he's working in your life to change you for the better, then we ought to be thanking him continually. And what's the opposite of thanking God? Complaining, criticizing, grumbling. And so God wants us to replace those with thanksgiving. Thanking God is a very important aspect of worship. We thank God in our prayers. Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Underline those words. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now it's not in everything by prayer and petition with complaining, present your request to God. Sometimes that's the reality, isn't it? It's with thanksgiving. Rather than worrying, rather, rather than being anxious about situations in our lives, we are to pray to God. But the part we often forget, the part I forget, is those prayers are to be with thanksgiving. 
thanking God for what he's done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and thanking him for the good things he's going to do in the future. And as we pray with that thanksgiving for what God has done in the past, it builds our faith for what he's going to do in our lives in the future. Thanking God when we pray. A life of worship actually thanks God for everything. Philippians, I mean, Ephesians 5.19 says, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to be a worship leader to sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, if you're complaining and grumbling, are you going to feel like singing and making music in your heart? No, it doesn't go together, does it? But if your heart is filled with thanksgiving, there's going to be a melody in your heart. There's going to be something that you can sing and rejoice in, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. And so a thankful heart, a grateful heart, leads to joy in our hearts. And I'd rather have a joyful heart than a discouraged heart, wouldn't you? And as we thank God, it lifts our spirits, it directs our attention to God away from our circumstances and helps us walk and worship Him all through the day, all through the week. Now God blesses people right and left. The Bible tells us that God blesses believers, God blesses unbelievers. God blesses everybody in this whole earth, in one way or another. There's a story in Luke chapter 17 about 10 lepers. We don't have time to read it this morning. 10 lepers came to Jesus to be healed. And so Jesus said, uh, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went on the way to see the priest, they were healed. All 10 lepers were healed. They went to the priest. The priest declared them healed. And only one of the 10 came back to Jesus. One out of ten, ten percent came back to Jesus. Hundred percent were healed. One came back. He came back, and as he saw Jesus, he praised God that God had healed him, and he thanked Jesus for healing him. And Jesus replied to him, "Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you." Ten lepers were physically healed, and yet only the one with a thankful heart, the one who really had faith in his heart, was saved. His thankfulness was an evidence that he had received salvation. And so ask God to help you to grow in your thankfulness day in and day out, to be like the one who was blessed and he came back and thanked Jesus and received further blessings. And as you thank God more and more, you're going to be encouraged. Your life is going to be enriched. And your relationship with God is going to grow. It's part of living a lifestyle of worship, having a heart of thanksgiving. And when you have an encouraged heart, when you have a thankful attitude, it makes it easier to share with other people. Is it a good witness for the Lord to share your grumblings and complainings with everybody at work? No, okay? Ready answer. I was waiting for it. I came... Say, Oba, thank you. The answer is no, it's not a good witness. But if we have a thankful heart and we're telling everybody about the good things that God has done for us and we're thankful, that's a great witness 
Do you want to be like the person in the office or at work who complains all the time? I just want to be like that person. <laughs> all the problems they have, just constantly complaining, grumbling. Nobody wants to be like that. The other person is always, oh, I thank God. I had a rough time, but God helped me through. I want to be like that person. That's how we let our light shine, by thanking God continually. We need to love God fully. Jesus said in Matthew 22, it's part of worship. Verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So in that verse, what does all mean? Does it mean 50%, 70 70%, 90%, 99%, or 100%? Love God with all that you have, with all of our heart. That's all of our emotions. God created us with emotions. We are to love him with all of our emotions, with all of our soul. That's our will, our decision-making power. All our decisions are submitted to God. We love him with all of our soul. Love him with all of our mind, our intellect, with all of our thoughts. We love God. Now, this is not the first and greatest suggestion, is it? It's a commandment. God commands us as created beings to love him. And how can we love like that? We can love like that because we're responding to God's love. 1 John 4, 19, a very short verse but profound, says we love because he, speaking of God, first loved us. God doesn't respond to our love. It's like, okay, if you love me, then I'm going to love you back. No, God loved us first. God loved us when we were sinners, when we were in rebellion against him. He, he showed his love first. He sent Jesus, his son, to die for us on the cross when we wanted nothing to do with him. And we respond to that love. We respond to God's love. He loved us first by putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see God accurately, when we remember how he has shown us that great love, it inspires us to love him back with all of our being, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. And as we respond to God's love, we must be careful not to respond to other loves. We mustn't love the world. First John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so our worship of God, it must be exclusive. Jesus gave one example. He said, you cannot love God and money. You can't do it. You have to love God exclusively. And so we're warned in this verse to not love the things of the world. Now, what is the world? The world is not simply planet Earth. In the Bible, the world is basically the domain of Satan. It's everything aligned with sin, everything opposed to God. And so you cannot love God and the world at the same time. The things of the world seek to draw us away from the love of God, to seduce us into loving false gods into created, loving created things. And so to worship is to love God fully. And so when we choose to love God fully and not the things of the world, that is worship. When we love created things, the Bible calls it idolatry. Now an idol is not necessarily, you know, a little statue or something that you bow down to. An idol is anything that you worship that is not God. And so, when we love the world, 
we become worldly like the things that we love in worship. Many worldly things that seek to tempt us to take us away from our love for God are obvious. They're condemned as sin in the Bible. Worldly sins are things such as any and all sex outside of marriage. That includes living together before marriage. Even if you love one another, it's still sin. It's still going to draw you away from God. All homosexual relationships, pornography, lust, adultery, all sex outside of marriage will, is worldly, will pull you away from your love for God. Worldly sins include gambling, playing the lottery, addictive drugs, drunkenness, destroying one's body with smoking, and the list could go on and on. Worldly sins include putting other things, even good things, ahead of God, not making God the top priority in your life. And so to love God fully means making him the top priority in your life. Making every decision based on a conversation with God. What do you want me to do? I don't want my will, I want your will. I'm going to love you fully each and every day. And to love God fully involves obeying him completely. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. Now that's a conditional statement, isn't it? How are we friends with Jesus? If we do what he commands. And so this statement, we'll unpack it a little more here, indicates that Jesus' friends, those who are in relationship with him, obey him completely. So many people claim to be Christians, claim to be saved, but they ignore God's commands. But those who are truly saved, who are truly believers, live a lifestyle of obedience to God's commands. Now, does obeying God's commands save us? No. Faith in Jesus Christ saves us. But that faith is demonstrated in obedience because we are to do what pleases God in our lives. Jesus said in John eight twenty nine, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And so Jesus said the Father was always with him. And Jesus told us in the Great Commission that he'd never leave or forsake us. He's always with us. And why was the Father with Jesus? Because he always did what pleases him. And Jesus never sinned. So he always did what pleased God. But when we don't do what pleases God, when we sin, our relationship with God is broken. And so we need to repent and get back to pleasing God in order to go forward in our relationship. And so worship is all about pleasing God. Not pleasing ourselves, not pleasing somebody else, but first and foremost, pleasing God by obeying the commands of God's Word and the commands of His Spirit. Keeping God's Word is what worship is all about. Jesus said in John eight fifty one, our last verse this morning, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And so Jesus is making it clear here that those who keep his word, who obey him, have eternal life. It's not speaking of physical death. Unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die physically. That's speaking of eternal death. As I said, does doing the right things make you saved? The answer is no. And why is that? Because nobody can live a life of perfect obedience. The Bible says all have sinned. If we could live a life of perfect obedience, yeah, that would be okay. But we've all blown that a long time ago. We were all 
essentially born sinners. And so we're saved by asking for forgiveness of our sins, believing in Jesus, committing our lives to follow him. And if we're saved, if we've sincerely done those steps, then we're going to live a lifestyle of obedience, keeping God's word, seeking to please him. Romans 1.5 speaks of the obedience that comes from faith. I like that phrase, the obedience that comes from faith. Our obedience springs from our faith in Jesus Christ. If people don't keep God's word, it's evidence they're not truly saved. And so our love for God, our worship of God is demonstrated in our actions and obedience seven days a week, 24 hours a day. God's love for us was demonstrated concretely when he sent his son Jesus from heaven to earth to die for us by an action. How is our love for God demonstrated? Demonstrated because I, I feel a fuzzy feeling towards God. Well, that's good. Sometimes I have those warm, fuzzy feelings towards God. But how is our love for God demonstrated? It's demonstrated by living a lifestyle of worship, by living a lifestyle of sacrificial obedience. What do we sacrifice? We sacrifice our own desires to live for what pleases God. Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And that ought to be our prayer as well. We sacrifice our will, our desires, for God's desires. That's truly what worship is all about. And so God is looking for worshipers. Jesus said it. Worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Worship begins by seeing God accurately, by taking our concepts of God, not from what we read in the newspaper or on the internet, somebody else said, but from God's word. He's a God of love. And he's working to change us. And sometimes change is painful. Sometimes change is not what we desire. But he loves us. He's working to change us to be more and more like Jesus. And so worship is a lifestyle of continually thanking God for what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing in our world. He's doing all kinds of wonderful things. Worship is loving God exclusively and fully with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds. And worship is finally obeying God completely, doing what pleases him, submitting every decision in our life to his direction and guidance. The bottom of your outline is an action plan for this week. Of course, God, I believe, is speaking to each every one of you. Probably most of us here will have a different takeaway, uh, takeaway from this message. God is speaking to you this week, something he wants to do in and through your life, through his word, from what was said this morning. But here's a couple suggestions. We are encouraging everyone to spend a daily quiet time with God, a time at least 15 minutes a day. It's just a practical thing. It doesn't have to be exactly that. 15 minutes doesn't come from any verse in the Bible, but it's hard to um, do it much shorter than that. Read some in the Bible, pray, write down what you believe God is saying to you. It's a great, wonderful habit. If you're not currently in a reading plan, I encourage you to read John 7 through 11 this week. And I'm um, just encouraging you to read through John as we're going through this series. Secondly, I encourage you to memorize Matthew 22, verse 37. 
Easy one to memorize. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Something to keep in mind in the morning, throughout the day. Am I loving God with everything I have? So as we follow these instructions in God's Word, we're going to grow in our worship of God. And as we grow in our worship with God, our relationship with Him is going to grow and His blessing upon our lives as well. So this morning, if you're not sure you're a believer, if you're not sure you're a worshiper, here's how to become a worshiper of Jesus Christ. There's that. You aren't a believer because you believe in God. The Bible tells us the devil believes God exists. You aren't a believer because you were baptized as an infant or as an adult. You aren't a believer because you think you're a good person. You become a believer by, A, admitting that you've sinned. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Secondly, you believe, put your faith, put your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. And finally, see you commit your life to following Him as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now. If you've never prayed a prayer like that before, I'd encourage you to pray in your own heart and mind. God knows your thoughts. God knows your heart. Perhaps you feel like you've drifted away from a commitment you made in the past. I'd encourage you to recommit your life to Him this morning. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I ask for you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and took the punishment for our sin, my sin. Come into my life. I believe he rose from the dead and I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior, to doing what he wants me to do for the rest of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we want to be worshipers, the kind of worshipers that you are seeking, people who worship you in spirit and in truth. Not just people who worship on Sunday mornings and then forget about you the rest of the week, but people who worship you seven days a week. Help us to read your word daily so that we can see you accurately. Forgive us, God, for grumbling and complaining rather than thanking you continually. Remind us of the good things that you're doing in our lives and around us so that we can give you thanks. Teach us how to love you fully with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds. And may our love for you be demonstrated by obeying you completely. When I, my will and your will are in conflict, may I submit to your will. Give us the courage to speak to others this week, to invite them to church, to talk about Jesus, to pray with them. And we ask God that as as we grow as worshipers of you, you would use us to see your true worship grow across St. Louis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.